0: called EDIT, E-D-I-T, EDIT, and this is what the word EDIT means, and we'll get into it over the weeks to come, uh, and we refer back to it even today, but it means this, it means to prepare for public presentation, how many believe that God's preparing you to go public? Come on, somebody say amen to that, also it means to assemble by cutting and rearranging, It means to alter, to adapt, or refine, especially to bring about conformity to a standard or to suit a particular purpose. Everybody say purpose. Don't forget that. That's a big part of what we're talking about today, purpose. It means to modify by inserting, deleting, or replacing sequences. That's what it means to edit. Now, as it relates to the Word of God, sometimes I think that we read words in the Bible and because we're accustomed to hearing those words, we think we know what they mean. And that's why it's important to become a student of the word to where maybe you get yourself a dictionary, a Bible dictionary um, to start with. There's, there's Greek and Hebrew inter, interlinearies. Uh, there, um, there are concordances. You can get all that you can get online, by the way. And really study, as the Bible says, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Knowing what words actually mean. So we say certain things and we know the meaning. For instance, one word, propitiation, comes to mind. Uh, that's used once in the New Testament. And people go, yeah, Jesus died as a propitiation for our sin. And we go, this is for the forgiveness of the mercy of God for our sin. And there's truth to that, but there's much more to that one word than that just that. And so we gloss over things not understanding what they mean. Now, today, I got my teaching hat on. Now, that teaching hat might turn into a preaching hat, Knowing me, that's probably going to happen, but I'm going to go right back to the teaching hat because I want to lay this down today. And the word I want to talk about today is the word sanctification. Now, the word sanctification is something you've heard by preachers all over the world. Uh, you've heard from this preacher You've been here long enough. I've talked about it. Uh, we talk about the fact that we've been sanctified. But what does it mean? Because there's not just a definition of the word, but there's a revelation of the meaning behind the word and sanctification is not one of those rip, you wouldn't think it would be, those rip, romp, and roar type of, of sermons. But in fact, it is extremely important because it is doctrine. Doctrine of the Bible or doctrine of the church from the word of God means it's something that is is used for reproof, instruction, and teaching. It is something that is is a part of your foundation. In other words, if you don't understand this, like we talked about those irrefutable truths from weeks back. uh, We talked about for weeks rather, last week as well. uh, It could be listed as one of those irrefutable truths, sanctification by way of the blood. Very important, very vital in your growth and your necessity to achieve the purpose God has in your life. Let me make this statement. We are called to live, called by God to live an uncommon life in Christ so that we can have an uncommon destiny to reach uncommon goals. Touch your neighbor, just tell me you ain't common, you just ain't. You're not in the earth because you're common. You're in the earth because you're uncommon. All those other, those other, those life, lives that could have been in this, in this world, didn't make it, died too early, whatever the case may be. You're here breathing on planet earth. God gives us, a, he gives us a snapshot of that. The snapshot is when he speaks uh, to Jeremiah. He says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of nobody. Don't be afraid of nobody. Your purpose is great. That's what he's saying. He said, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had intimate detail about your life. How he knows that God knows the end from the beginning about you and about me? And that he literally knows us better than we know ourselves. He said, he said, before I formed your mother, I knew you, and he said, I ordained you and called you to be a prophet. So the fact that you're here on planet earth lets you know there's an ordination and a calling of what God's always known about your purpose. And you can't be on earth without a purpose. So I don't care what you've been through, what you feel like, what the devil's your here and told you ain't no good, all that stuff. That's a lie. The truth is there's a purpose for you, and it is not common. It's uncommon. It's uncommon. So this is important because God has never desired for you to live marginalized. Never. It's always his best is for you to live directly in his will, not on the sidelines. That's not what God has for you. Living and watching everybody else live their life, but yours is passing by. This uncommon life that we are called to live is a part of a process called sanctification. It also is, you can also put in the word edit. And I'll show you how in just a moment. Very important for our series to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. Uh, may, now may the God of peace himself, watch this, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God says, I want you to be blameless at the end. But He says, now here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. I'm helping you. And the way I help you is through something called sanctification. And sanctification, He said, He said, He said that may God peace Himself sanctify you completely. Now that lets me know that I was not just sanctified the moment I got born again, I was. But he said, I'll sanctify you completely. He's talking to the believers in the church. In other words, sanctification is an ongoing process. You're never quite arriving, but you're getting better every single day. Somebody say amen to that. I'm being sanctified. Something great is happening with and through my life. And then, then I said this uh, I said this in the, in the first church, in this first service, and this is setting it all up. So, the basic definition of the word sanctification simply means to set apart from and to set apart to. Set apart is the word. It means this be set apart from something to be set apart to something. Amen. And it's two of two part truth. It's not just extracting something from, but it's commissioning something to. Sanctification can be looked uh, can be looked uh, at like this. You have been saved from the wrath of God according to Scripture and from the judgment of God because of your sin. But he doesn't leave you there. He dedicates and commissions you to live your life for him. I'm not just saved to be saved. I'm saved with a purpose to do and express what he wants me to do and express. Now, 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 this is important because this is where the word edit. So when you see the word sanctify in Scriptures, you can replace a part of the word is being edit. In other words, I'm not what I was before I came to Jesus. I've been through an editing process. I've been sanctified so that when my friends come and say, "Hey, y'all remember we used to do this, that and the other?" I might remember what we used to do all the shenanigans. Sin, that's what it's called nowadays. Come on, sin, all that stuff. I remember all that stuff. I can remember, but I'm not the same man I was that I was with them. I've been set apart, I've been called from, to go to, and I've been edited from, to be something. Come on, y'all. And so it's like the tree. And the tree is awesome. It has a function. The function is to grow from the earth and may provide fruit for you or it could provide uh, shade in in the ground. But I noticed that we've used trees for other purposes. So it's all relegated by the person who wants to use the item. So he looks at the tree and goes, wait a second. I don't just see bark, and I don't just see a tree providing shade, but I see a house, two-story, three-bedroom house I can build out of that tree. In other words, the person sees the potential that's inside. I told you I'm going to teach. I'm trying to teach, but I can't help but get excited. He sees the potentials that's inside of it. In other words, what comes out of the tree, once the observer sees the potential, is it keeps going. It could be a pencil. It can become paper. It can become furniture, a desk, or a chair, or a dresser, or whatever. In other words, it sees the potential of what it is. The tree can be edited based on its purpose, its function, and its potential. And I'm just here to tell two or three people here today that you don't even have a clue yet what you are, but the God of heaven ordained you and gave you a purpose before you got here. He knows everything about you. He sees your potential. And he's trying to sanctify you from your original state to a place where he wants you to go. He's trying to edit you out of where you've been and where you're supposed to be. Now back to the teaching sanctification is taking from one purpose to fulfill another purpose so as believers we have been sanctified we could not save ourselves therefore jesus steps into the picture and jesus as the perfect man dies on the cross sheds his own blood so we could have forgiveness of sin and with that blood be sanctified out of the world to holiness to righteousness out of hell to heaven First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, Whew. a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look how God talks about you, his own special people. I know you may not feel like that, but that's who you are. That's what God sees, that you may proclaim the praises of him, watch this, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. You've been sanctified who once were not a people but are now the people of God, you've been edited, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You better thank God. Why don't we give God a big round of applause and thank the Lord for his mercy. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So now we are apart, we are apart from sin and from evil, from the uses of sin and evil, and now we've been set apart to the usage of of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And the word reasonable also means true and proper. What is true and proper? That my body, my life is a living sacrifice. And that my life, my body, is also holy and is acceptable to God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me that I accept by faith. And that sanctification process now sets me apart to offer myself to God, which pleases the Lord. Church, we can control the desires of the flesh. Why? Because we are holy and we are acceptable to God. Doesn't mean you don't sin. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. I'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. What it means is you can control the appetite of the flesh or the passions of the flesh. When you begin to look at the general theme of sanctification, it always refers to a holy, uncommon purpose for the service of God. In other words, God takes what's common and touches it. He takes what's common and he makes it holy. He he takes what's common and he makes it beautiful, desirable. He makes it uncommon. He takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. He takes the weak, makes it strong. He takes the zero and turns it into a hero. Church, are you hearing what I'm saying now? In other words, God makes you what is common, makes you uncommon. Anything that's uncommon draws value. And the more uncommon something is, the more valuable it becomes. You are what he chose in the earth to be uncommon to the rest of the earth. Have you ever thought about the, How many people are saved in here today? Let me see how many people are saved. Not you don't have to always your hand. You don't say it, Don't worry if it. You ain't say it. But if you are, good. Now, that tells me or should be an indication to you and be a point of thanksgiving to you. Wow. I know him when there's so much of the world who doesn't know him. Wow. Why is that? So you can say, wow? Or is it because there's a purpose behind the fact that you're so uncommon, which makes you so precious, which makes you so valuable? How many ladies in this room, don't lie, ladies. Be honest. How many of y'all like diamonds? Let me see your hands. If you like diamonds? I mean, don't put your hand up if you don't like it. But if you like them, well, now if I offered you a di- five-carat diamond, what do they have? What do they have? Five carats? Is that what they have? I gave my wife one carat. That's all I gave afford. Praise God. I'm. Just, I don't know what I gave her. Five carats is big, right? You wouldn't. You wouldn't say, "Nah, that's not for me," would you? I think it'd make every woman in this in this whole church go, "That's for me." You'd probably snatch it out of my hand before I change my mind. Amen. Uh, how about gold? Y'all like gold? Everybody likes gold, right? It's pretty. It's expensive. What's it right now? Does anybody know what it is right now, gold and ounce? It's a lot, too much. goes up all the time, right? goes up all the time. People have gold parties, right? And they take the gold and give it to somebody who will melt it down and give you a check. Praise God. And you're like, praise God, I got a check. Amen. My point is, why is that gold and why is that diamond so expensive? Because it is not common. It's uncommon. It takes a lot of effort to dig for those diamonds, a lot of effort to dig for that gold, a lot of manpower it takes. It takes a a lot of all that. People lose their lives over doing stuff like that. You ever heard of blood diamonds, stuff like that? My point is, my point is, is it becomes valuable based on the fact of how uncommon it is. Don't you ever call yourself common again. We live in a culture today that young people more than ever desire to be heard. They desire to be seen. They want to be famous. We've taught them that if they're not famous, they're nobodies. And people feel like nobodies. And our kids, they want to have a voice. They want to have something they believe in. They want to, these kids want purpose. And, um, and all you got to do is go to YouTube and look around on YouTube. And some of the, the most silly things people do, especially young people, They'll do crazy, stupid things to put it on YouTube to get hits and to get a thumbs up and a like. Why? Because they want that video to go what? Viral, right? So they want to go viral. Why? Because in their heart and in their mind, they feel if it goes viral, I'm somebody. People notice me. I'm important, right? Or we've raised a generation of kids watching people like the Kardashians and I'm not trying to make fun of nobody, but I'm just trying to tell you the truth, who have become famous for doing nothing. Not that they haven't become hard workers. I'm just saying the reason for their fame is because they basically did nothing. They just happen to be pretty people and, and they happen to know how to shop. Am I right about that? And they got millions of followers all over the world to see what they're going to do next. And I think the youngest ones got the most now and, and all that stuff. My point of bringing that all up is we've raised them up on that stuff saying popularity is the most important thing. Being liked is the most important thing. What are they really crying out for? And I may be making this overly too easy and maybe too spiritualized, but I believe they're crying out for sanctification. In other words, they want to be set apart. They don't want to be like everybody else. They want to be set apart for a purpose. They want to be known for something. Isn't that the heart cry of all of us? Now, why is that the heart cry? Because God put it in our hearts. And the reason why I put it in our hearts is because it's the truth of who we are. We are all different. We're supposed to be different. That's the way God made us. So why in the world, especially as we as believers, trying to be like the world when the Bible just told us we're supposed to be a peculiar people? Set apart. Sanctified. Set apart from Set apart two, edited from, edited for. John 17, 15, Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Wow, what a statement. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be set apart from and set apart to by the truth. Sanctify them. Jesus' prayer was for sanctification, knowing your purpose, knowing what you've been in and where you're going to. So when we look at this, we can plainly see that our sanctification is not Like the world, we're not from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I said we're in it. Are you all okay with this? But we're not of it. Sanctification is not to be like the world, but on the contrary, that the world may see how they should live for God through us. I've been sanctified. Notice I didn't get raptured or you didn't get raptured. And we're taking off the earth the moment you got born again. Why? There's purpose. It's to give God all the glory. You ever wonder why God calls certain people? And you look at them and go, man, they are a fool. What in the, how in the world did they get to that position? And you buck and you get excited about it and you're ticked off about it and you're just whatever. And you can't believe it and blah, blah, blah. But God just keeps on using me. You think, how is this? Possible, because our Bible tells us a little bit about God's nature. He is He is the ultimate. He loves comedy. He thinks this is funny. He said, "I call the foolish things of the world to confound, boggle the minds of those. Come on, another are, are the most wise people. In other words, I call things that I call, and I make it foolish because that, that way the the fool. Come on, somebody." That's probably me, and that's probably you. Come on, so the fool won't take the credit, because the fool knows I didn't do that. Ain't no way I could come up with that. Only God could do something like that. I'm preaching better than you shouting right now. Am I right about this? So my point is, my point is, God's got a little bit of a sense of humor. He calls people who are not likely to achieve, aren't likely to succeed, but are very likely to be marginalized. Very likely to be looked at in no way possible. So at the end when it happens, all the glory goes to God and to God alone. And God shows the world what he can do through somebody's life. I love this teaching. A great quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I love this. The church must stand to be the moral conscience for the world. In other words, you take the church out of the world the way it's supposed to be set up, you take the church out of the world, you're taking the moral conscience of God out of the world. You're taking the moral compass of God out of the world. So how will they know if we don't show them? And if we don't know who we are, that we've been set apart for his use, we'll never know our potential. We'll always be too afraid to step out for the Almighty. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, okay? Some of honor, which means special, and some for dishonor, means common. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, common, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with, the, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I had a gentleman walk up to me many, many years ago. He's having problems in his walk with God. And I think he began to feel pretty condemned about what he was doing and maybe wanting to quit. Because the enemy's relentless. Satan's relentless. Especially when the call of God's on your life the way that it is, that you got purpose. you start phone, fo- you start moving out on your purpose, the devil's gonna start whispering in your ear all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's gonna remind you of the mistakes and the sin you get involved in. He's always gonna do it. It's his tactic. And so what what he'll do is that he'll do it to get you in a place of condemnation so that you think God can't use somebody like you. And he came across this scripture. He said, Pastor, I found a scripture, and it kind of denotes where I'm at. He said, "Um, God makes vessels of honor and dishonor, and I guess I'm the one he made to be dishonorable. And I thought, my God, I mean, I couldn't even think that. I mean, how did he even get to that conclusion? And it just, I didn't even know what the rest of Scripture said yet. You know how sometimes the Spirit of God will say something? Read the rest of Scripture. I said, let's get the Bible out. Here we go. Let's read it together. I said, read right here. It says, he said that therefore, he said, some were made for honor and some for dishonor. You got it back up there, guys? Put, this, put it back up there. This is Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, 21 to 22. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There we go. Says um, honor, some for dishonor. Next script, next uh, verse, please, because I want them to see this. But then it says, "Read further." Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, watch what does it say? He will be a vessel of honor. The latter is from the common. Come on, y'all. So we've got a responsibility. It would have played out better had we had that verse, son, you killed my whole message. Thank you very much. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. He didn't know I was going to go back. It's obvious that we were never intended to be something marginalized, right? Something sidelined. But something of value. Something of purpose. The devil says, you're not good enough. You know what you've done. That's a lie out of hell. That ought to tell you how afraid he actually is of your life. Because he'll always come to tell you what you don't have, what you could have, should have, and would have been. Come on, somebody. It's too late for me. I'm talking to some people who got some purpose in this room today. God has given you purpose. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. Touch the other one and say, I'm under construction. <laughs> Amen. There's a three-phase process with this. Number one is that there's something called positional sanctification. Through Christ's blood and atonement on the cross, He has reconciled my sin. So the, the, the my bank account in sin has been balanced, zero. I owe nothing. Reconciled. In other words, He made it right. He put my life in order the moment I got saved. And he has called me to himself. And now I find my identity positionally in Jesus. Do you know that Paul never refers one time to a believer as a Christian? Christians use it a couple times. First time it was, it was, it was spoken uh, at uh, Antioch. And, and it was uh, a derogatory term. Oh, these are the people that are Christ-like. That's what they, can, they make, were making fun of them. Nothing wrong with the term. I'm not against it. But that's not what Paul used. He referred to us 264 times in the New 264 times in the New Testament. And he said, the believers are in Christ. Those who are in Christ. Everybody say it. In Christ. That's how we referred to every single believer in Jesus, that they are people that are in Christ. Why? Because He is our identity. To be a Christian is to take on the identity of Christ. You're not Jesus, but you take on His likeness, what He believed, what He taught, His example. We're in Christ. Woo! Second Corinthians chapter five seventeen puts it in perspective. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm going to go into preaching mode now. He is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I've been set apart from what I used to be to the man that I am now. I've been edited from my past. God went in and edited me. Come on, somebody. And now I'm not who I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That means I got a brand new assignment. Friends come up to you and say, you know how we used to hang out and do all this stuff. You got to tell them, wait a second, that's not who I am anymore. When the old feelings and the old nature comes back up and starts to say, you know, you kind of like a little every now and again. Because they might might make it legal. Come on, they may make it legal. Here in Wisconsin, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going before church or what are you going to do? I feel like my experience in praise and worship is way better. Better watch out. You might be opening yourself up to a spirit of, a, you might be, an angel of light might show up. You think the devil's gonna come to you with a pitchfork and some long red underwear and a gold tee and say, I'm the devil, boogity boogity. boogity. He ain't gonna do none of that stuff. He's gonna come and say, Follow me into the light. <laughs> Woo! That's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. I got a new assignment. He edited my life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. We're in Christ. set set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is our life appears then you will also will appear with him in glory therefore put to death your members which are on earth fornication uncleanness which means impurity passion mean the passions of your flesh evil desire covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you were once walked when you lived in them, but you're not in them anymore. You've been sanctified. But now you yourselves are, all, are to put off all these anger, wrath, and malice, and blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Filthy language out of your mouth. I said filthy language out of your mouth. Why are Christians in Christ talking like the world because you think it's cute and you think you're going to be accepted by them? The F word should not be in your vocabulary. I'm trying to help you here. Well, it's not like it used to be no more. I don't care what they said it used to be. It's foul, and you know it. And if your four-year-old came up and said, F this and F that, you would slap him across the mouth. That's bad. Why is it bad for them and not bad for you? Come on, don't, don't play that hypocrisy stuff. Now, I got some people angry at me right now, but here's the deal. I don't know how you talk. I'm not with you. And if your neighbor doesn't do one of these, I won't know who you are, praise God. We've all slipped up here and there. I don't slip up the F word, thank God. That ain't my deal. We all slip up things. You know, Christians have their own curse words. Stinking, no good or rotten, come on. Ain't no better, it's just as foul. Because it comes out of the soul. And you have what you say. Out of the buns of the heart, the mouth will speak, and it will, the Bible says, fruit comes from your lips. Amen. And I just don't think that's right. Bible tells me it's not right. You got to put that away from you. I'm not telling you because I need to tell you something. I'm going to stick it to you and control your life. That's not my deal. I want you to live the best life. Okay. And it goes on and says this. uh, What else does it say? It says, do not lie to one another. Wow since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also uh, must do but uh, above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I can't do that without this empowerment of sanctification. I got to remember, I'm not from that anymore. So when somebody fronts me, I can win the battle of attacking them back. By remembering, that's not, you're trying to draw on who I used to be. But how, what kind of reaction do you get out of kicking a dead man? No reaction. Dead man, if you're a dead man, no reaction. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. You can't affect me like that. Yeah, the old man wants to resurrect, but I said, stay down. Stay down. Had something just happened to me lately, and oh, my God. The old man wanted to come back. You know, when you feel uh, done wrong, and you know you can handle it pretty good just with one verbal confrontation, but you, hallelujah, elder, You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you have to hold your tongue. And I made a decision. The moment I made the decision, it was over. I was dead to it. It was over. That's it. It's all good. It's all good. Let it go. It's all good. And as a man, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm not a man if I don't step up and take care of my business. Because that's the way I was taught my whole life. But I recognize every time I do that, it sends me further and further into trouble. And it kills my testimony. So I have to say I'm a bigger man than that. I'm in Christ. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And that just left right off my back. And I'll bet you a million bucks it's because God wants me to do something in their life. And it was tested by the enemy. And I had to pass that test so I can have a word to speak in their life of clarity that's gonna set them free. And if it's not me that's supposed to do it, it'll be the next Christian because they know I'm a Christian. It's good to tell people you're saved. But just know when you tell them you're saved, they might test you a little bit. You have to remember that, go, I'm going to pass the test. Amen. Okay, that's free of charge because I felt my elder was going through a real hard time in her life and she's going to get over it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we are made holy in him. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You're either a saint or you, you ain't. Amen, somebody. And to be a saint means you're holy. He called you to be holy with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. We're saints, positionally, we are holy. Number two, almost done. The second phase of sanctification is sanctification by progression. This deals with our practice, not our position. So we can be holy in position, but not holy in practice. So this confrontation situation I had, I am holy in position. That don't change. But I could have fronted back and said some things that were not right And I would not be holy in practice. Amen? How? How? Because my position with Christ is not based on my deeds, but on my faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Now, what needs to happen is that we bring our practice into alignment with our new position. You cannot bring forth the purpose of the position without the practice of the purpose. I'll say that one more time you cannot bring forth the purpose of the position without the practice of the purpose. In other words, you can be, i got some children in here, but we're going to do it. You can be a sperm donor, sir, and have children, which makes you a dad, but it does not make you a father. So positionally, I can be a dad, but as far as my practice I'm not showing that I'm a father because a father is a part of their life, helping them, grooming them, being there for them, so on and so forth. Same thing with mothers, exact same issue. I'm just trying to give you an analogy. The truth is I want to make sure that my position and my practice comes into alignment. Somebody say amen. All right, I'm going to have to go fast. Go to number three. Uh, I'll go to number three. How about that? Phase three is that our sanctification is perfect. It's perfect. Now, it's not perfect in the sense that we never sin. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that uh, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also Glorified. I was predestined. You were predestined. What does that mean? Predestination. It means you had a destiny before you got on the earth. That you came into the earth to fulfill the destiny. Amen. Let me walk you through some applications of this. Um, number one, understand that God and you are working together. I didn't give this in the first service. You and God are working together. Uh, number two, Look to see what God is at work in through your life. In other words, how is God speaking to you through trials and temptations? God gives the trials. The devil comes with temptation. But both communicate to God and to you what's really happening in your world, what's happening currently in your life, okay? Number three, set your eyes on victory and not defeat, and you'll, you'll have victory in your future every time. Victorious living starts with victorious thinking. So my eyes have to be set. The Bible talks about that in, in his word about the eye becoming single. Now why is that important? Because I found out very difficult to go somewhere if your eye isn't. If your eye is looking this way, you're trying to walk this way, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to bump into something. So I've learned that wherever my head goes, my eyes follow my head, my head, my head is the decision. I'm making a decision where my eyes go. Wherever my eyes plant toward, watch this, is, I notice is where my body, my focus goes to, and my body follow, follows. I can't be like this and walk in this way very long. Amen. So you have to be real careful as you get your eyes on victory. Is your eyes on victory or is your eyes in the past? I'm glad God was great for you in 1975, but it's not 1975 anymore. It's not 1985, not 1995. It is now today, 2019. It's time for us to say what's God saying and doing now. Number four, walk by faith and don't trust your feelings. Walk by faith and don't trust your feelings. Feelings will lie to you every time. Amen, somebody. And I'm gonna tell you something. If you're in a relationship right now, I don't care how fine they are, I don't care what how sweet talk there is, don't be led by your emotions. Be led by what you see and what you hear. Use some discernment of what God's trying to tell you in the inside. People's lives get wrecked because they make emotional decisions rather than scriptural or, or, or uh, 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 mental ascent decisions. People whispering uh, in, in a corner, and you, th- be, the, you walk by them, and you start to think, oh, they're talking about me. You're being led by your emotions and your feelings. They, just because they looked at you and smiled doesn't mean they're talking about you behind your back. That's just you thinking that way, amen? And by the way, the ones you re- that are really talking behind your back are not those people, praise God. They're the people you think are in your corner. I'm just going to say something right there. But you got to love them anyways. Amen. Number four, everybody go, oh, I got to look around now. Who's in my corner? Number five, deny yourself because it really ain't about you. Uh, I'll move right along. Number six, abide in Christ. Don't forsake him. Abiding in Christ removes all frustrations because we're, he's the vine, we're the branches, we're, we're connected with him. And then the fruit comes. A fruitless life is a frustrated life. Amen. So it removes all frustrations. And number seven, and I'm done, develop a pattern of discipline, a pattern to mature, always maturing. The Bible says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then we're also called disciples, which means the disciplined ones. And don't forget about him on a daily basis. He's for you. He's not against you. He's working with you. He sanctified you. He's in the process of editing some of the things in your life. You know, a great film isn't the first one that's shot, There's all kinds of different angles and there's all kinds of different uh, camera rolls and whatever, it might be digital, however it's in the computer. And the editor is the magician. The editor is the one who puts the movie together with the director sitting next to him and he cuts this out and puts this in. and This is too long. This is too short. Let's put this in special effect. That's how they do it. And it makes for a great movie. The same thing about your life. He's sitting with you in the editing room and saying, here's what we're gonna to do to make you the best version of you that can possibly. Give the Lord a shout of praise. He's working with us.